Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. We've entered our number two of the program in our 10 o'clock slot. We'll talk Colts and Pacers with our sister station's own Kevin Bowen. Derek Schultz will join us as well. Plenty of minor league baseball throughout the evening, too. But first, there was plenty of action tonight. A Reds win streak on the line. Baseball in London and so much more. Network Indiana's Sam Fritz has it all. All right. Yes, let's do a full recap. Games that happened earlier and games still in action across Major League Baseball. The London series is underway. Across the pond, the Chicago Cubs were victorious today in London, England. 9-1 to over the St. Louis Cardinals. The Arizona Diamondbacks fell to the San Francisco Giants 7-6 to earlier. The Baltimore Orioles won against the Seattle Mariners 6-4. to The New York Yankees only put up one, but that was all it took to defeat the Texas Rangers at home. The Philadelphia Phillies came up short against the New York Mets 4-2 at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. The Toronto Blue Jays beat the Oakland Athletics 7-2-3. Cleveland Guardians beat the Milwaukee Brewers 4-2. And the Cincinnati Reds winning streak comes to a close narrowly. They fell to the Atlanta Braves today 7-2-6. But they made it a close one. And let's hit some audio for you right here. Jake Fraley hit I believe his third home run in a row today. In the air to right. That's going to go! Jake Fraley homers in a third straight game. His 11th. Yes, third straight game. I should have been a bit more specific with that statistic. Baseball fans will get on me for that one. But that was in the ninth inning. That brought them to within two runs. Will Benson, right after, said, we're going to make it a little bit closer with a back-to-back home run. In the air, center field. Harris going back. He did it. It's a one-run game. Back-to-back big flies. Back-to-back big boys indeed, but not enough to tie the game up. The Reds, again, falling to the Braves, 7-6. to Elsewhere in the MLB, the Kansas City Royals beat the Tampa Bay Rays on the road, 9-4. to Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox had a game earlier. It was a close one, 5-4, to in favor of the White Sox in Chicago. Miami Marlins beat the Pittsburgh Pirates by 1-4-3, to the end score for them. Now to games currently in action. I don't know what took so long, but they're still in the eighth inning in Detroit. The Tigers up by one over the Minnesota Wings. 3-2. The Los Angeles Dodgers and Houston Astros just wrapped up the eighth inning. Still a big scoring fest, but now the Dodgers scored three runs, and they're in the lead from 7-5, to five, now to 8-7. to seven. The Dodgers up over the Astros. The bottom of the fifth, the Washington Nationals still lead over the San Diego Padres, two to nothing. And in the top of the third, the Angels decide to tack on four more in Colorado. They're beating the Rockies right now, six to nothing. Earlier in the night, minor league baseball was in action here in Indianapolis, and the Indianapolis Indians, or as they're playing today, the ABCs, beat Columbus three to one. College baseball still underway. They've entered the top of the tenth. It is the men's college World Series championship game. LSU. And the Florida Florida Gators, three, two, three. Moving on, there is some soccer to be played later today. The CONCACAF Gold Cup is in play. United States and Jamaica going to be taking the field in Chicago. Soldier Field is where they'll be playing to start off round one of the CONCACAF Gold Cup. 
Major League Soccer in action currently. Sporting Kansas City trails the Chicago Fire in the 67th minute. Chicago Fire up one to nothing. Austin FC is beating the Houston Dynamo in the 24th minute. Colorado Rapids and the LA Galaxy tied 0-0 in their 22nd minute. Real Salt Lake and Minnesota United also tied 0-0 in their 25th minute. And as you heard earlier with Greg Rakestraw on the program, the Indy 11 were victorious 2 to nothing over Hartford Athletic today. That's going to be a big push as their postseason approaches. The Indy 11 women's team also has one game left. A win there will give them a guaranteed shot for the second consecutive year in the USWL postseason. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Sam Fritz. Jimmy Cook in for the coach Bob Lovell on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. As always, you can interact throughout the night. Follow me on Twitter at the Cook. You can hear me on our sister station middays noon to 3 on 93.5-1075 The Fan on the Fan Midday Show with our cattle cave of revolving guests throughout the many months. Looking forward to bringing you reactions to the draft all next week as we've done tonight and a look ahead towards Colts training camp. Again, that's Monday through Friday, noon to 3, on our sister station, 93.5107.5, The Fan. A couple housekeeping housekeeping items off the bat. Is Sam Fritz there? Is, is, he, is he available? Is our, is our uh, sports update man in the building? Ready as always, Jay Cook. Doing a great job as always, Sam. Quick question, and, and I get it. I understand because the Reds just finished a 12-game win streak and the Yankees are very anemic on the offensive end. So, totally get it. But one critique, I felt like with the – it felt like just a, a, a stab a little bit towards me with the Yankees could only put one run off the board. But then it felt very hopeful and upbeat despite the fact that the Reds lost today. I don't. I just wanted your comment on that, if I was maybe reading too much into it or, or if that was a, a fair observation on my part. Here's my plea for neutrality. I'm a Philadelphia Phillies <laughs> fan, okay? And I'm reporting on their loss today. Now, look, I'm just serving the market, right? We got a lot of Reds fans that are listening across the state of Indiana, and I think they deserve to know the fight that their Cincinnati Reds put on at the Great American Ballpark to try and keep that winning streak alive. And and I wouldn't say that my my comment about the Yankees is a dig, but I think in the modern MLB, especially the way this season's gone, you'd expect more than one run to be what's deciding a game. <sighs> You would definitely, Sam. I don't have a quarrel with you. I have a quarrel with Nathaniel and Eddie, but that's okay. We'll settle those quarrels at another time because we have to get back to pressing matters. We mentioned it last night. We hoped he would deliver and call back, and indeed he did this evening. It's the Hall of Famer, Howard Kelman, the voice of the Indianapolis Indians. Nice enough to take some time with us here on Indiana Sports Talk. Another day, another win. We should do this more often, Howard. Well, you're right, Jimmy, and this game was so different. That's one of the beauties of baseball. Last night, the Indians scored 18 runs. They won the game 18-5. to Tonight, the game was scoreless to the bottom of the seventh. A few infield hits and a sack fly, and the Indians had a one nothing lead. Then in the eighth inning, Kanan, Smith, and Jigba belted a two-run homer. It was 3 nothing Indians. And in the ninth inning, John Kenzie Noel homered for Columbus to make it 3-1, to one, and that was the final score. So the Indians now have won three in a row. Howard, we were talking after our conversation last night with Brendan King up in South Bend. He mentioned the same thing that you had told us last night about the new season that arrives over the last couple of years in minor league baseball as they divide it into halves. As you look around that clubhouse, why is there reason for optimism for the tribe as they now are in the early stages of that second half of the season? 
Right, and the second half of the season will actually begin Wednesday. Tomorrow marks the conclusion of the first half of the season, and this is the first year we will have this, Jimmy. Uh, Other minor leagues have had it for other seasons, but it'll be our first year in the International League. I think one cause for optimism is the fine young pitching that we have. Quinn Priester was an example of that today. Six scoreless innings, he was just terrific. Jared Jones on the hill for the Indians tomorrow. He made his AAA debut on Tuesday. Jimmy, you got to remember that name. Jared Jones, a right-hander. He has great stuff. He's fiercely competitive. In this day and age, you never know how long a player will be here. But if I had the opportunity, if I were you to come out and the listeners to the game tomorrow to watch him, I would do so. I'm not going to argue with you whatsoever. It is a 1.35 first pitch start time tomorrow, and then I've, I've been known to, to read things wrong before, but if I'm following my calendar correctly, two days off for the try before they have a trip down to Louisville, but thankfully they'll be back just in time at Victory Field to open a series against Memphis on 4th of July on Tuesday. Howard, always great to catch up with you. Looking forward to a great one tomorrow. Kids eat free at the ballpark tomorrow. Should be a great day all around for the Tribe. Jimmy, as always, thank you very much. Of course, that's the Hall of Famer, the voice of the Indians, Howard Kelman. Always nice to be able to catch up with him throughout the process here on Indiana Sports Talk. And as he mentions, again, try back in action. Tomorrow, be sure to go out to Victory Field, 1.35 start time. Kids eat free Sunday. We gave the flowers to the Indy 11, rightfully so. No better way to spend... A sports day then over at Carroll Stadium. Victory Field, I like a word with that. Always good to be able to get out there and enjoy some minor league baseball of the highest order with your Indianapolis Indians. Well, still to come on the program, we're going to have a chat with Kevin Bowen right around the corner. KB is going to give us the lowdown of what happened with the Pacers in the draft, taking Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard, where things go from here, and expectations for the Colts, as training camp approaches. That's next after a scoreboard update on Indiana. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Sports Talk. All right, more baseball scores and then some soccer scores for you as well. In play currently, Tigers, Twins, still 3-2 in favor of Detroit. Top of the ninth inning, the Los Angeles Dodgers and Houston Astros game just wrapped up. The Dodgers won 8-7. Nationals and Padres have entered the bottom of the sixth inning. The Nationals still lead over the Padres in San Diego 2-0. And folks, I have not seen what's going on, but it is an absolute slam out in Colorado right now. The Los Angeles Angels in the third inning have posted not one, not two, not ten, but 13 runs in the top of the third. They currently lead over the Rockies 15 to nothing in the top of the third inning. If you participate in sports betting and you took the over, congratulations. In minor league baseball earlier today, the Indianapolis Indians or the ABCs as they played as today beat Columbus 3-1. We still have College World Series action on the field. It is tied 3-3 to between the LSU Tigers and the Florida Gators in the bottom of the 10th. Moving on to soccer, the 
CONCACAF Cup just got underway. The United States versus Jamaica. They're in their eighth minute. It is still tied 0-0 in the opening round there. And in USL Monterey Bay, in uh, USL action, Monterey Bay FC and Miami FC kicked off recently as well. 0-0 tie in the 10th minute there. Coming up in another 15 for Network Indiana Sports, I'm Sam Fritz. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Joining us now, you hear him on our sister station, 93.5107.5 The Fan. He's Kevin Bowen of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 a.m. Throughout weekday mornings. KB, how you doing? Jimmy Cook, uh, doing great, man. How are you? Doing awesome. Just a couple days removed from the NBA draft. We would hope that brighter pastures are ahead for the Indiana Pacers. And it's not a weekend in the Circle City. Nothing to be mad about, KB. Nothing. A little bit of hope continued to be created by the franchises here in Indy. So, yeah, trying to enjoy a little bit of quiet time before uh, the madness certainly will begin here in about a month or so. Well, speaking of the madness, we're going to cover the Colts at some point during this conversation. But I want to first start with the Indiana Pacers. Draft just a couple days ago. Jarris Walker, the selection with the eighth pick after that trade with the Washington Wizards. I guess off the bat, before we go over fit, go over where his expectations should be. From your vantage point, as the draft unfolded last night, what were your takeaways from that selection and just the process for the Pacers overall? Yeah, I, I, I thought it made a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I figure when you looked at where they were selecting and just kind of who was there at six overall, you had to take a big swing. I also think Benedict Matherin is a guy that was a pretty rare prospect to be there at sixth, and you already felt like he could walk into the NBA, contribute early, but yet there still is so much room for him to grow as a shooter and as a playmaker and certainly on the defensive end of the floor. So that was a pretty kind of special situation. You know, this year you probably didn't have that same luxury uh, considering the draft depth and just how front-loaded it was with obviously Victor Webb and Yama and then number two and three with – Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, but the good news is is you had kind of set yourself up through that first year of the rebuild to where I think the conversation deserved to be more about best fit, and that's certainly where Jarris Walker comes into play. Um, this has been a pitiful defensive team over the last couple of seasons. You know, you, you and I had the conversation uh, a couple of days ago, Jimmy. I mean, we were talking about the Pacers this past year. They averaged 116 points per game. That is the most in NBA franchise history. And yet they didn't sniff the playoffs with one of the better rim protectors in the league. And that's because their perimeter defense and, and really just guarding one through four was such an issue for this team. And so that's why I think you had to go best fit. And Jarris Walker has a mindset as a defensive player and a rebounder that this franchise has desperately lacked. It obviously wasn't intentional by the Indiana Pacers, but we were teased a bit in terms of the build-up to the draft, the optionality, as Kevin Pritchard loves to highlight, and the thought process of maybe there was going to be a big move from a trade standpoint. Now, the offseason's not over yet. The trade market will continue to be in flux when free agency arrives and the different moves that can be made as you're building a team. I know you had Chad Buchanan, GM of the Pacers, on a couple days ago right after the draft on Kevin and Query, and I believe him in the regard that they made all the calls you would be required to make and obligated to make when you're trying to move up and trade up. He mentioned Cam Whitmore and how hungry they were to try to find an option to go get him as he was in free fall. But since those trades didn't happen, 
Were you surprised that there wasn't ultimately the big move? Are you expecting still a potential big move this offseason? Where, where is that timeline in terms of trades post-draft in your mind? Yeah, I, I was not too surprised by the lack of the big move. Um, I, you know, I was kind of under the impression if they are going to do something really big this offseason, you would have done it on Thursday night, considering you have that seventh pick, which is such an attractive asset to teams all around the league. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm not in this panic mode. I mean, sure, I'm all for fireworks and it makes for great radio, but I, I think you'd be naive to think this was just a one-and-a-half-year rebuild or, you know, all of a sudden – in a small market like this, you just forego the seventh pick and then start paying a dude major, major money and, and think that you're a top three team in the East. I think that's kind of premature. I mean, you you really ripped it down to the studs when you look at this roster and who was here and who you counted on just a couple seasons ago. I mean, outside of Miles Turner, pretty much nobody that you still rely on from when everything began. And I guess really it was started with that DeMontis to bonus trade. Uh, back during the trade deadline that obviously netted you Tyree Taliburn and Buddy Heal. So, um, again, I, I was not, like, too surprised by it. I certainly know there's a section of the fan base that wanted more fireworks. And, you know, the NBA tends to kind of breed some of that. So, you know, maybe that was where kind of the buildup and the hype occurred. But I'm good with still letting this grow naturally. I mean, Tyree Taliburton has been a pacer for – a year and two months. Benedict Mathern has been a pacer for a year. They haven't even really been in the starting lineup together. So I just think kind of letting them get their feet under them a little bit more as that lead duo. And then who knows? Maybe get to February and you've exceeded expectations and you still got two first-round picks next year. You still got two second-round picks next year. You, you're going to have some guys on some favorable contract situations. Then that's maybe where you make a deal. It might not be this gargantuan one, but I think – there will be a point in time as a franchise where you're in more of a win-now approach. I just didn't view it as you've got a 1,000 ships sitting in front of you. You need to put all 1,000 into the middle of the table. Um, I think they put some in the middle of the table, but at the same time, I think it's really important to remember you're trying to set yourself up for five to seven to ten years, not like 18 to 24 months. Um, sure, there will be a time where you want to pounce on that opportunity, but I thought the prudent approach that the Pacers have used here – um, I thought it was very wise. I guess my angle from it was I'm not like disappointed or I'm not trying to be short-sighted with this. You and I were talking about this the other day on the fan. Like I, I view the long-term options of what you're looking at four to five years down the road, but also there has been a tendency with this franchise, historically speaking, to want to be consistently involved with being good enough to be competitive, but often something winds up stiff-arming them, right? Whether it's Jordan, whether it's LeBron, they're good at the right time, but not good enough. So I'm with you. I'm not mad about it, but there's a tendency to think that they might try to jumpstart things faster to get back to competitive basketball at the high level that they were accustomed to for the better part of a decade. Yeah, and I and I hear you out. And, and, and I mean, the numbers are the numbers, and, uh, and I think I have this right, but I don't have it in front of me. I believe it's five years without a playoff victory and I think it's is it nine years without a series win I, I think you got to go back nine I mean those are glaring numbers for this market I mean we're not used to that but I guess the question I would pose to Pacers fans is what what do you want do you want the annual you might be the five of the six seed but Cleveland might be sweeping you or Houston Miami might be sweeping you like we've seen in recent series or do you want to try and get back to 2011 and 2012 where, you know, it was about a four- to five-year run there where 
you, you, you kind of slowly but surely in that post Danny Granger era, and by post Danny Granger, I mean as his injuries started to, yeah. um, you know, take take their toll. And obviously, Paul George rose to the level that he rose to, where you know you made the playoffs and then you you know won a series and then you made a little bit of a deeper run and now you're beating the Hawks and you're beating the Wizards and you're taking the Heat in six and seven games. You know that sort of trajectory. That was a, in my opinion, that was a pretty fun time. I think to be a fan of the Pacers or be in the market, and I think that's what they're trying to get back to. And I think teams around the league in the market sizes like Indiana have proven you can do that. It's not easy. Free agency is a difficult path to maneuver when you are a team in a market like Indiana, but you can build something. You've got to build it really through the draft from the majority of it, then obviously execute lots of good trades. So, uh, I would like to see Halliburton and Mather get their chance to kind of have a full season to make their imprint on it. This team still needs another wing. It probably needs kind of that hybrid 3-4. Um, even though they drafted Jarris Walker, I think you still need that. You've got to get better on that end of the floor. You, you need continued growth from Halliburton and especially Matherin. But I think just kind of letting it grow for another season – makes a whole lot of sense. Kev, we've got a little less than a minute here, so I want to look quickly at Chris Duarte. Very guard-heavy post-draft. What does he have to do to be able to find footing in this team outside of staying healthy, or is it too late for that with where they're on from a chart progression standpoint? Well, it's a good question. I, I, I'm afraid it's too late. I mean, age doesn't do him any service as well. You know, when he was drafted, he was one of the oldest prospects that you'll see drafted in round one. I think he was 23 or 24. Um, that's very old. He's obviously battled some injuries. And as you mentioned, very guard heavy. You know, if I had to pick out two quote-unquote losers for the Pacers from Thursday's draft, I would say Duarte and, and I, I would say a little bit of Isaiah Jackson. It might be more Jalen Smith. But, you know, the drafting of Jairus Walker and the thinking that they still need another guy in that sort of mold, um, you know, the days of, I don't know, trying to find minutes behind Miles Turner, maybe they'll trade Daniel Tice and one of those two will will get those minutes. But especially Duarte, uh, for me right now on paper, it's hard to pencil in a first and second unit and see where he fits. Love more from Kevin Bowen when we come back on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, a couple of updates on the baseball field. So, that Dodgers win that came 8-7 to seven in the final inning, I'm just now finding out that that win comes in a sort of deflated manner as the Dodgers won off of a balk. And to update you on what is only best described as a thrashing going on in Colorado with the Angels up over the Rockies. Did a little bit of, a little bit of investigative journalism since my last update, and the Angels went back to back to back home runs against the Rockies in the top of the third. So quick so that the Shogun helmet that the Angels players wear as their celebration after hitting a home run, the player, Mike Trout, after he started off the streak with the first of three home runs, he wasn't even at the end of the line by the time that Brandon Drury was rounding the bases, hitting his second home run. Mike Trout had to put the helmet on him himself. Then after that, Matt Thias who also hit a home run for the third in a row, he was running the bases. Brandon Jury didn't even have the helmet off yet. He had put it on Matt Thias himself. So now they're in the top of the fourth, Los Angeles against the Colorado Rockies. 
15 to nothing with a lot of road left to travel for the Rockies there. Minor League Baseball, some single A ball in Indiana. It was two teams in the state taking each other on as the South Bend Cubs defeated the Fort Wayne Tin Caps earlier tonight 4-1. to one. You'll probably hear more about that when Brendan King joins us later. Brendan King joins us later on in the night. That's it for me for Network Indiana Sports. I'm Sam Fritz. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. We continue our conversation with Kevin Bowen of our sister station, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Of course, the host of Kevin and Query, 7 to 10 a.m. in the mornings every weekday. And the Colts beat writer, as well as covering the Pacers and all things Indiana sports on 107.5thefan.com. Kevin, I want to put a bow on our Pacers conversation with this. As you look at the selections they were able to make and the flexibility they allowed themselves with the draft trades before the draft and the move back with the Wizards to get two second rounders that, again, most people will forget about because they're 2028 picks. But we were talking with uh, Dan Purcell a little bit earlier, and he had mentioned that from a financial standpoint, those are great moves that you have to make as a front office if you're trying to balance things out long-term with the team. How did they position themselves with those trades and with the picks they made to take a leap next year of some kind that would involve postseason play? Yeah, you know, I said, Jimmy, I guess it would have been Wednesday morning, so I think the trade with Denver to get that future first happened later that afternoon. I said on Wednesday morning, when they had those jumbled picks, 26, 29, and 32 at one point, I said, why not package some of that and get a future first? Because this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the previous segment. I think it's important to remember that you're not you're not necessarily in this, like, win a title mode next year. But at some point, and it might be February, like, you might get to the trade deadline and you might say, oh, wow, this is continuing to speed up. And, oh, my gosh, Halliburton and Matherin are an all-star duo, no questions asked. And, you know, Buddy and Miles look great, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe that's when you make that win-now move. But I think at some point in the franchise, you're going to be in a position where you were a decade ago and where teams like Cleveland and Boston in recent years have used you to try and make the win-now piece. Think back to Cleveland with the Karis LeVert trade. Here, Indiana, here's a first-round pick. Let's get LeVert, and we need him for our playoff run. You know, Boston, hey, Indiana. Here's a first-round pick. Here's Aaron Neesmith. We need Malcolm Brogdon for our playoff run. Like, at some point, the Pacers are going to get back into the – and, again, I know this analogy or bringing up this past, I should say, maybe isn't the greatest thing in the world, but you make an Evan Turner or an Andrew Bynum move because you think you are knocking on that door. So I thought that was really wise. Again, two first-round picks next year, two second-rounders. Um, you got those future seconds by trading back one spot with, with, with Washington. I know on paper those look minuscule and they don't really stand out and people want flash and, 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 and pizzazz. But at some point when you put all the package together, it matters a little bit more. Like there are elements to that trade with the Kings that you were able to do, which netted you Halliburton and Buddy Heald that if you didn't make those other moves, you wouldn't be able to create such a trade package. So, I was a big fan of that. It was one of the keys I wanted the Pacers to focus on coming into this draft is, yes, you've got these five picks this year. You've got no room to have all five of them. Why not trade one of them and try to net a future first, which they did. He's Kevin Bowen. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. Kev, the expectations that we're setting for the Pacers next year, for the sake of argument, everybody's healthy. Perfectly healthy season. No injuries for the Indiana Pacers in the 2023-2024 campaign. Is it too high of a bar 
to say four to six, not seven to ten in terms of seeding next year for the playoffs? Is setting a definitive playoff spot too aggressive of a bar for where this team is, and is it fair? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to, you know, see how next week and and a little bit of July plays out just to get a clearer picture of the East. But I've said this several times here over the past month or so. I think a realistic goal should be not to be in the play-in games. And obviously the play-in is 7 versus 10 and 8 versus 9. So I think that, you know, puts you in kind of that four, five, six range. I mean, I, I, I forget exactly where they were record-wise when Halliburton went down last year, but I feel like they were five or six mm-hmm. in the East when when he went down. So, I mean, O'Shea Bursette and, and James Johnson and George Taylor, your free agent, you know, it's not like you're losing big-time free agents. So the core should be back. The coaching staff is back. You, you, you've added what you would hope can help you out on the end of the floor that was the big issue. So, yeah, I, I think something in that four, five, six range should be a goal. Um, I don't think it's like the end of the world if if you don't reach that because, you know, as much as we want a linear line for rebuilds, sometimes they aren't linear. And if for some reason you were to miss the playoffs, you know, again, I don't think that's like this crushing blow to your rebuild. Oh, my gosh, you now have another lottery pick. And maybe at that point you view that lottery pick and say, all right, let's now spend this on a veteran and make that that sort of move. Again, I know that's not talk that a lot of fans want to hear about, and I still side on the it's important to take a step win-loss-wise next year. You know, you and I were talking about it earlier, Jimmy. You know, five years without a playoff win, nine years without a playoff series win. Like, it, let's get back to this franchise getting used to actually winning when it matters, especially for this young core, because a lot of guys on this roster have not experienced winning at a high level, especially in the NBA. Um, so I – I do think those are important steps, and I think they're realistic steps here as we talk, you know, at the end of June. Let's pivot towards the Colts. Uh, first, I'm contractually obligated to ask this. Uh, Anthony Richardson starting week one? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I was calling the shots, yes. Um, again, that's something that, you know, early August will probably have a clearer picture on. I do think Shane Sykes and Jim Irsay, you know, expressed a very open-minded viewpoint exiting the draft about that. Um, you know, again, we'll have to see how training camp develops. To me, um, I would throw him into the fire, but I'm still not. Yeah, you know, again, this is my opinion. Um, right now, if I were gauging the Colts, I think it's much closer to a coin flip than that. On a serious note, Jonathan Taylor made comments the other week about where his contract is with the team right now. Very friendly, cordial comments. Nothing that you would expect by, from a, like a diva standpoint by any means. He would just be very honest and open and it seemed like a very friendly pathway to an extension at least in his mind. You and I have had this conversation a couple times. I don't want to speak for you, but I believe we're, we're on the same wavelength as I'm more worried about the length of the contract versus the amount of money that is being given to Jonathan Taylor. You can take that part of it any way you want, but ultimately Ultimately, this trend of signing free agents and signing your own, not signing free agent, but retaining your own before the start of training camp, before the season begins, is Jonathan Taylor the next in line to receive that? And ultimately, will he? Yes, I think he will. I I think Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor will be Colts long term. Um, I'll be curious to see if Pittman wants to play this contract year out um, and if the Colts want him to play that contract year out. Um, you know, I think that'll be something that'll be interesting to watch. But, you know, I, I think Chris Powers made it pretty clear. He doesn't care where you play. If you are a good player, he will pay you, you know, handsomely. And he wants to retain his own. And Taylor, 
certainly checks the off the field box and all of that. Now Taylor's comments a few weeks back, I I understood the Colts having a little bit of hesitancy and a little bit of leverage, you know, with that because the position that he does play. I mean, it's it's wild to look at guys like Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley and even Jonathan Taylor and think. I mean, if these dudes played any other positions, these teams would be on their knees begging, begging for these guys to want to still be there, you know, on a second contract. But just running back is different. Running back life is very, very different. So um, I, I think something to keep in mind with, with Taylor, Jimmy, you know, if you look at the running back market around the NFL, your two guys make notably more amount of money than than any of the other running backs. And that would be Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. I think they're both like 15 and 16 a million a year. I want to say Derrick Henry is just north of 12. Well, what's different about Kamara and McCaffrey than Derrick Henry? They impact the game on third down, and they're kind of hybrid wideouts. You know, Taylor does not do that. So, or, or doesn't do it to the level, I should say, of a McCaffrey or a Kamara. So I'm curious how that is going to play into all of this as well in that he does lack – that that kind of heavy, heavy third-down presence. Um, my thing is this. I, I don't want to see five years. I don't want to see something too, too long. I'd let him play out this contract year and then slap the franchise tag on him. I know I'm in the minority with that, and I know it's probably not realistic for the Colts line of thinking. And I also can hear people on the other side, Jimmy, that say, who else are you spending the money on? That's a totally fair comment. The Colts don't spend it in free agency, and it's not like they're paying a quarterback or a left tackle or a pass rusher anytime soon. So it's not the end of the world if you pay Taylor, but I just think more of it goes back to your overall roster construction issue, which I think has been a flawed approach by Chris Ballard. I don't think you draft running backs, guards, linebackers as high as you do and then have to turn around and pay them the amount that you do. I think it's pretty proven in the NFL that blueprint does not win at the highest of levels. He's Kevin Bowen. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070 and hear him weekdays, 7 to 10 a.m. in the morning on our sister station, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Have a great weekend, KB. Thank you, Jim the Cook. You have a good one as well, man. We'll be back with more after this on Network Indiana's Indiana. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Sports Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not know what moves faster, a ticker on the New York Stock Exchange or the Los Angeles Angels offense. Top of the fourth, they have scored an additional eight runs. The score now sits at 23 to nothing. Angels up over the Colorado Rockies with only one out in the top of the fourth. The Los Angeles Angels are still up to bat. By the end of this update, I'll check back in and see if the scores moved anymore. Other Major League Baseball scores to watch out for. The Detroit Tigers and Minnesota Twins are finally in the books. That score hasn't moved at all. That one's still 3-2, or that one was 3-2 in favor of Detroit, them winning that game. The Washington Nationals are still up over the San Diego Padres. That game not moving either. Top of the eighth, 2 to nothing. Going on to some soccer being played at Soldier Field in Chicago, Illinois. The CONCACAF first the first round of the CONCACAF Cup is in action. The Confederation of North Central America and Caribbean Association football is taking place. If you're wondering why I was stuttering so much, I had to prepare to say all that. Jamaica currently up in the 38th minute, one to nothing over the United States. Again, that game taking place on 
Soldier Field at Chicago, Illinois. USL football action. New Mexico United is up over the Colorado Swings. Switchbacks 2-1 in the 81st minute. Oakland Roots SC over Phoenix Rising. I'm sorry, tied with Phoenix Rising in the 40th minute, 0-0. And Monterey Bay FC and Miami FC are also tied in their 40th minute, 0-0 as well. Sacramento Republic and San Antonio will be taking to the field at 11 tonight. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Sam Fritz. Jimmy Cook back here for Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. And for the coach, Bob Lovell. So please, you've chosen to spend part of your Saturday night with us here on IST. That conversation you just heard we had with Kevin Bowen covered a lot of ground, including the Colts and a conversation that is going to get more and more interesting and more difficult depending on how Colts general manager Chris Ballard handles everything with star running back Jonathan Taylor. It's potentially... A contract year for JT and that without an extension, the Colts would have to decide if they were going to franchise tag him, end up with a long-term deal, or door number three, which they would never do because teams just don't do this with star assets, particularly one as young as Jonathan Taylor, let him walk. So Colts fans can at least enjoy that mindset that the idea of him not being a member of the Indianapolis Colts Next season, in 2024, highly unlikely, barring, again, a trade that would occur or barring him sitting out on his own accord. Generally speaking, particularly at running back and a running back his age, if you're not wanting to spend the high-dollar Christian McCaffrey market-resetting type contract, the best avenue to utilize is the franchise tag, one that takes a percentage of the amount that is made within running backs across the league and is a hefty price that you have to pay that increase incrementally every year you do it for three consecutive years, you can, in theory, put a player on the tag. A lot of people don't like the franchise tag that are pro players because it limits their ability to really dictate the proceedings and decide what they want to do with their professional careers. And most notably, the only example, at least in the last five, seven years or so, somebody trying to fight that famously was Le'Veon Bell, who sat out the entirety of his campaign with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think it was back in 2018. He was never really the same player after that. And that's not to say that one year removed from football did that to him, but it's just not an advantageous spot for a player to be to try to sit out against the tag, which comes back to the question of whether or not the Colts want to pay him. Kevin brought up a great point that we all know, which is that unlike Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler, that have had high-level market shares of running back money come their way, John Taylor's not a pass catcher. All that said, when he's healthy, he is arguably the best running back in football. And at only 24 years old, it's hard to argue not wanting him to be a part of what the Colts are building. But I will leave this with you, and that's a stat that I continue to spit out whenever questioned about what they should do with Jonathan Taylor. It is look at the last 14 Super Bowl winners. What do they all have in common outside of hoisting the Vince Lombardi trophy in the air? The running back and the amount they've paid to them. Of the last 14 Super Bowl winners, the amount of money they made was no more than $2.5 million for the leading rusher on those teams. Again, not quarterbacks, obviously, but running backs specifically. Rushing yardage, the rushing leaders, no more than $2.5 million over the last 14 Super Bowl winners. I get it. It's scary to think about what life without Jonathan Taylor might one day be like, but 
We live in a league where even though people feel running back is devalued, the way the game is played today, like it or not, that is what the market is for that position. More often than not, you can find dime a dozen backs that are able to carry the way for you, whether you go back by committee, whether you find a veteran that wants to be a lead back and be a part of a championship contender, or whether you're able to find somebody that's on a young contract or a rookie contract, like the Kansas City Chiefs did last year with Isaiah Pacheco. At the end of the day, though, giving top dollar to running backs, at least in the modern NFL, almost never works. And that's something the Colts are going to have to keep in mind as they evaluate what they want to do with Jonathan Taylor as we get closer and closer to the start of training camp. We'll look more at the Colts roster, a little bit more with the Pacers when we return on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. We'll steal a little bit of thunder from Sam Fritz here when we can. He's got, of course, the big update upcoming at the top of the hour, a five-minute scoreboard update, in fact. But a little shocking in the CONCACAF Gold Cup group play. So his first match of group play for the U.S. men's national team. But Jamaica on top one to nil through the first 45. Could have been two nil, in fact, but a great, great save on a penalty there by the U.S. to be able to keep it just a goal down. Sam will track that 40 and have more in-depth in that five-minute update coming up. Continuing our conversation on the Indianapolis Colts, and we won't have time for long-form hill here, but we will have it in the 11 o'clock hour. But you look back again at Jonathan Taylor and the ability for him to complement this offense while also weighing the fact that a payday is likely on the horizon for him, whether or not it's going to be in Indianapolis or not remains to be seen. You have a number of mouths to potentially feed next year. And the reason you might be asking, well, Jay Cook, why are you looking at it from this angle when the season hasn't started yet? Because notoriously speaking, Chris Boward loves to take care of his own and loves to do it before the season starts. Not every single player, but ones that he wants to lock down. As Jonathan Taylor mentioned in his comments to the media a couple weeks ago, That's something that Chris Ballard has done. He has a well-documented history of not being afraid to take care of his own. And this time around, Kenny Moore, who's probably the least likely to get an extension with how cornerback is valued in today's NFL. Not to say I'd be against them keeping him by any means, but just you look at who else is there. Grover Stewart, Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor. And even though the big buzzword for the Colts is always cap space, you have to be very careful not to get too top-heavy or too greedy one way or another on your roster when you have the benefits of a rookie contract, the most important position, of course, of quarterback underneath your belt. So where ultimately will they decide to spend that money? You would most likely think, and Kevin alluded to this, that perhaps they invest in Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr., Almost no questions asked. Now, I've been a big believer in Michael Pittman Jr. the last couple of seasons. And while last year was the year I really called for him to reach that true wide receiver one status, you might push back and say, well, he is a wide receiver one. Yes, of course he is. He's wide receiver one on the depth chart, just like any starting wide receiver in the NFL is by definition wide receiver one on the depth chart. That does not mean that you are in the top-tier class, though, of the likes of Stephon Diggs, of Tyreek Hill, of Jalen Waddell. He's not in that same stratosphere. 
He hopes to one day be there. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Michael Pittman Jr. right now is not in that mix. It does beg us an opportunity, though. I don't want to call it a built-in excuse, but cut him some slack to some extent when you look at who's been thrown in the football. Sam Ellinger. Matt Ryan, at times, last year. Hasn't exactly been a fair area to judge him. No more excuses this year in theory, whether it's Minshew or Richardson, remains to be seen. We'll go more in-depth on the Colts around the corner after a scoreboard update on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk.